What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, the Big Five is back after its year-long hiatus. The Cats get its first win of the season in Big Five play after blowing out LaSalle 72-46. to They moved to 4-2 and on the season, and they moved up a spot in the AP poll to the sixth team in the country. How are you feeling about this week? Yeah, everything was really good. You know, good to see Villanova get back into action. Of course, a little bit of a weird week last week with no mm-hmm. games. You know, after that Purdue game, hope everyone had a fantastic Thanksgiving as well to be able to go through that. Also, before I even go into it any further, thank you to everyone for interacting with us this past week. I know we got a, I had a lot of conversation going on with the rotation stuff, and it was very cool to hear from everyone, especially the people that told me I was very wrong. Always love, <laughs> <laughs> always love conversation. Um, and then as well for us too, a little housekeeping. We're one month in now. This yeah. we are officially one month has taken over from uh, Chris and Eugene here. We say the Nova Nation could not be more thankful as we go through Thanksgiving for everyone that has listened to us along the way. Yeah, that's a great point. It has, it's been a full week since we recorded. Yeah, obviously with not dropping an episode on Thanksgiving, a long break from Villanova basketball. It was nice seeing them back in action. You're right; it did feel like a long time. And my gosh, yeah, that video did so well. That was the best we've ever done and in, in our, our almost year of podcasting on something that we were able to put out there on Twitter and the engagement we got. So thank you so much. We love doing that. We love hearing everybody's feedback and especially on an issue as polaroid polarizing as the one that it was, which is the rotation question. So hopefully that continues to be a really hot button topic and we can continue discussing it throughout the, throughout the season. You can tell it generates some feelings and people right? either yeah, way. So it was strongly about it. Yes. Yeah, so it was a fun topic to go back and forth with everyone. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. How was your Thanksgiving? What did you do? Oh, Thanksgiving was really nice. I got to go back to long Island for it. So I was with my parents was able to be with my girlfriend too. So it was, it was a really good time. How about nice. you? Nice. Nice. I went to Rhode Island on Thanksgiving and then came back. Rhode Island was my dad's side. And then my mom's side was on Friday. So I did. A little bit of split action, which was good too. I didn't have any green bean casserole this year, Ooh. which was a bummer because that's my favorite Thanksgiving side dish, actually. But wow, overall, food, really? food was very good. Yeah, I know that's a controversial take because I'm not an elderly woman, but <laughs> I, I do love green bean casserole. <laughs> you might get a few tweets for that one. <laughs> I'll go with stuffing for my favorite Thanksgiving. Yeah, side, yeah, yeah. That one's too obvious for me. Uh, Everybody I mean, loves Of course, stuffing. but yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Well, let's get into some basketball, shall we? Let's do it. Big five. First big five game at the Palestra since January 2020. This one wasn't wasn't close for pretty much any second of the game. Pretty much. Sal got off to a tough offensive start and Villanova just had its foot on the gas for the entire time. But we do have a couple of really interesting points to get into, most notably the return of Demir Cosby Roundtree. But before we get into that, that'll be more of our extended conversation. You want to get into some of the box scores? Start us off wherever you think. Positives first? Yeah. Well, first thing I look at, as you said, it it really wasn't close at any point. Um, For for Villanova to be able to at one point be up 39-9 to in a first half is pretty incredible. And for a team that can have some slow starts. I mean, it's not like they exactly hit the ground running the first minute or two, either out of the gates to be able to put up what they were able to generate in the first half was super impressive. I think the second half was incredibly forgettable and a very rough showing uh, kind of for both sides. But at that point, it, it really didn't matter too much. If we're going in the box to, box score, you know, the guy I would like to, to really look at again here as talk about how impressed I am. 
Eric Dixon did it again. He just, he played really, really well. And he did so in more, you know, limited missions, <laughs> missions, minutes for him at, at 21, 11 points, eight boards, most importantly, five offensive rebounds, which is very, very key for this Villanova team, which did win the rebounding battle by 20, which is really huge for a team that we talk about how undersized they can be. I think we continue to see him be more comfortable. He stepped out and hit a three at one point in this game. Eric Dixon continues his progression, and it really is key for these cats. Yeah, I think that's a really good place to start, too. And that 21 minutes, I'll emphasize it again. That 11 points and eight rebounds in 21 minutes very is not efficient. an easy feat. Yeah. yeah, very, very efficient. That brings us back to our point about who was the most efficient player on Villanova, right? Mm. Talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It continues to be Dixon. Yeah, his shot selection is just so strong. He really doesn't make any mistakes. His basketball IQ is so high and railing is even too harsh of a word. We nitpick his game when he's up against the Travion Williams and the Zach Edies of Purdue. Yeah, exactly. Even the big guys on UCLA too, way back at the beginning of the mm-hmm. season, Miles Johnson. Yeah. Thank you. I couldn't remember his name. Um, th- Everything Eric Dixon has done so far has been a marked improvement. And when he has those matchups against Edie and Williams, how much do you think he learns from that? Mm -hmm. So even when he goes up against LaSalle, who really wasn't very big, really didn't have any sort of force on the defensive end anyway, or the offensive end in terms of offensive rebounding for Villanova to get those small victories, to win the offensive rebounding battle for Dixon to be the leading rebounder. I think all those things he's just, continuing to ratchet them up. And I think it's another, it's a moral win for him mm-hmm. because he was the leading rebounder and because he was able to bully some of those LaSalle players in the paint. And that's not always happening for him as the undersized big in a lot of settings. Yeah. And that's on the offensive side too, which I, I think I've been impressed with seeing his post moves. He's starting to really develop a little bit of that spin move with the hook yeah. that we're seeing. Yeah. The a, lefty hook. Mm-hmm, it's insane mm-hmm, that we're starting to see a couple of times. I also do want to point out his defense. It's not just him. Of course, it was more of the, the wings, your Slaters and Samuels as well only allowed 10 points in the paint to LaSalle yes, um, on Sunday night, which is you know <laughs> a very, very good number. Now, I understand LaSalle wasn't exactly putting on an offensive clinic uh, on Sunday, but still, really? yeah, really, it's breaking news there. But 10 points in the paint allowed uh, across a full game is pretty good, and I do think that is a part you know into how Eric was able to be down there. No, I completely agree. He also had two assists, yeah. which was second to Colin Gillespie's five. I think – a part of his game that was really lacking in his earlier seasons was his, his tendencies to grab the ball, look around and make the errant pass. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't do that anymore. Eric Dixon is really strong and comfortable with the ball. And that's really good to see. He's not making mistakes. He's either just straight up outsized or he's dominating the other guys around him. And that's what it was against LaSalle. There's a calmness to his game this year that I I don't think we saw last year. And it's again, it's all about progression with him. Of course, only in his second year really playing um, it's and he continues to impress. Yeah. I have a question for you actually. Mm -hmm. And it it just came to me. So it came to me because I'm looking at Slater's numbers and you really, you've seen him pop off in these type of games so far this season. And on Sunday night, he finished with 12 points. He was just five for 12 from the floor, one for seven from three. I remember when we were doing the the conference breakdowns and the non-conference previews and the team preview right before the first game of the season, we talked about how a tertiary 
score mm-hmm. might be a problem or it would be really we were curious to see who would really emerge as that tertiary score slater had an off night yes he did he still finished with 12 points which was the second highest on the team do you think he solidified himself as that tertiary score behind Moore and gillespie i think that him and samuels can kind of go hand in hand with that in, in mm-hmm. going through it because, you know, some game Samuel's just going to be on from three and, and really use those jump stops better than anyone uh, <laughs> on this Villanova team. Slater, I do think, was off yesterday. I, I think what you saw more of him finishing with the 12 points was him just bullying people and using his athleticism yes. and being able to get in the lane. I mean, he that hit that left-handed it, dunk. That left-handed dunk was thunderous. He hit his one three, I believe, was in the final two minutes of the game. So really, you know, wasn't able to find any sort of rhythm from deep there. The thing with here with Villanova is they didn't really need to. I didn't think Justin Moore had a particularly good game either. Didn't mm-hmm. seem like he was able to find any sort of rhythm. Uh, furthermore on that too, I, I don't think it's fair to rail on any of the Villanova players for this game because as Jay Wright was kind of talking about beforehand and, and a little bit after, multiple guys have been suffering with flu-like symptoms. They didn't name them uh, other than Jordan Longino who was out for this game. So you don't really know who was feeling what as we go into this game. So not trying to give them excuses, but it is something we have to keep in mind here. Uh, But (laughs) going back to your question with Slater, yes, he can absolutely be that guy. I don't think he needs to be that guy. He's just shown that he certainly has the ability to come up when they need him. Yeah. And Caleb Daniels has started to solidify himself. Uh, That that was my next point too. Yeah. And I'll just stay on Slater quickly. I completely agree. The flip side of that too. And the disadvantage is that people are starting to discover him. He was the, Mm -hmm the secret weapon for the first couple games of the season. And now, I mean, John Rothstein told us, he said, buy stock and Brandon Slater early. You said jump on this trend because it's leaving the station soon. Mm -hmm. Opposing teams are starting to game plan against him. They're taking away that shot, which is kind of great for Villanova because I think he's better when he drives to the basket. But again, the defensive LaSalle takes that with a grain of salt anyway. Uh, I do think we should have led with that point about the flu too. Probably. We we will be talking about the minutes distribution. We we will be talking about the bench as usual, but it's a really good, it's a really good point. You don't know who is suffering from flu like Mm -hmm. symptoms. The greater thing to me too. And what I took away from this is their defense was stifling in that first half. And LaSalle put up some, mind numbing shots. Yes. (laughs) I couldn't believe some of the shots that they took. And that obviously makes it easier for the opposing offense if it gets off to a slow start, which is what happened to Villanova. But their defense was able to lock down. That's why they were able to get into a groove a little bit. And they might not have done that had they been playing a better offense. No, I I think that's fair. LaSalle looked really undisciplined yesterday, I I think was where it put. It seemed like mental mistakes were everywhere. You know, the shot selection was not good. Uh, I don't, I (laughs) still wrapping my head around the fact they had zero assists in the first half and Uh finished with one in the entire game. I'm not sure how that's possible, but that's how things ended up. Um, It it was a really ugly game for LaSalle. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I really don't have much to say. Uh, Also, Villanova's defense limited them to 17 points in the first half. Mm -hmm. That wasn't even a season high. 
because they yeah. limited Tennessee to 15 in the first half of that game. But Which is a great if, sign. It is. Like, it is. If you want to look at the Ken Palm rankings, Villanova is slowly getting better defensively after that abomination of a Howard game. Yeah. Um, things have certainly gotten better. I understand Purdue put up 80, but I think we all get how good Purdue is. Holding Tennessee to 53 and LaSalle to 46. Tennessee more notably, but still obviously only allowing 46. It's gotten Villanova up to 48th in the country there on, on defensively, which is it great? No. Is it good? Yeah. It's just about this pretty high ceiling for what you expect from this unit, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like they're they're crushing expectations, but they've gotten themselves back on track. And I, I agree. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. So I don't know how, how much, you know, you've looked at this too, but remember how at the start of the season, they really came out with that press, you know, basically the Bridges press, they've gone out of that and you're not seeing it very often at all right now. And they're playing, you know, decently enough on defense as we just talked about Tennessee and LaSalle. I I, I count Purdue out of that just because of how talented they are. That's something I really want to follow here. Do we see it pop up again later this week, maybe as kind of a test run with Penn and St. Joe's with of course, Syracuse Baylor coming up in the big East, or is Jay really going to go away with this and go to more of that slower paced, just get set in your positions type defense. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting point. At first, I thought it was going to be completely dependent on the opponent. Sure. But if they're not going to try it against this LaSalle offense, what situation are they going to try it in? That that seems confusing. The the only thing that I can think of is that Jay really didn't want to embarrass LaSalle with, of course, Ashley Howard being there and, and possibly turning up the heat even more. Uh, could have turned things to be very, very ugly because we <laughs> yeah. know about Jay Wright and his respect for the big five. And of course, respect for Ashley Howard and all that. That's my guess. Otherwise I'm completely with you where why not bust it out for a game like LaSalle like this and see how it goes. Yeah. I just, I, I of course get your point. And I honestly think they show that sign of respect by not taking the starters out until two minutes left in the second half, which mm-hmm. is just an insane move to me every single time when we're, we're in 30 point leads at that point of the game, it was interesting because I felt like there were actually a couple sets where Gillespie was actually the point man. I can't remember what game exactly that was. And I thought, oh, wow, this is a different look. I definitely felt like Slater was best suited for the Mikhail Bridges role because he is the best defender on the team. But you're right. Since that moment, it's been pretty much non-existent. They've gotten better in transition D, of course, it's against less caliber opponents. But I'm I'm really excited. That Syracuse game and that Baylor game are going to be really good tests because yes. it's going to be a little bit of a slower week, as you and I talked about before we recorded these big five games. It's nice to see the offensive output, but I don't think we're certainly going to be talking about anything groundbreaking in anything in any of these games, unless something crazy happens, like yeah. it did against Penn a couple of years ago, which could mm-hmm. happen. Always Second big, choice for a reason game. Yeah, big, big respect for... Oh my God, I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> it's too easy. I had to after you said it. Oh, I hope people get that reference. Uh, <laughs> uh, you just made me lose my train of thought. I was That was such a good reference. Bottom line, I think they should be experimenting and get the respect play, but you have to play out some of these defenses so that when you do go up against better offenses like Syracuse and Baylor, you have some different sets that you can turn to if need be. No, I, I agree. And I, I think they're still working out the kinks with it. I think it's better. They only allowed two fast break points against LaSalle as well. Again, of course, not exactly a clinic, but something good to, to look at for how the defense performed. Uh, overall, it's getting better. And I think that's a huge plus as we move into those bigger games. And of course, conference play now only about two weeks away. Yeah. And going back quickly to the assist numbers, 
somebody asked Jay Wright after the game if he ever remembered holding an opponent to just one assist, and Jay couldn't. That yeah, it's such an insane stat. LaSalle had one assist all game long, and of course. The biggest thing is that LaSalle's offense was struggling and their shot selection was terrible and they just couldn't get anything going and they were turning the ball over a lot. The other thing is, along the same defensive thread, Villanova's switching has been better. So it has been harder to, or it's been easier for offenses to force passes. And that's when the turnovers come to come into play because Villanova's getting better. They're not letting Jaime Hawkins drive against Eric Dixon every single possession like they mm-hmm. were in that UCLA game at the beginning of the season so I, th- I think there has been market improvement on the switching front as well and to give credit where credit's due that's probably because they're going back and easing into that man-to-man defense as opposed to trying to stifle them in the three-quarter court press I think that's fair and then to credit the great Eugene Repay who did send us send us this from Josh Verlin uh, since 2010 there have only been four games involving division one teams where someone had zero assists yeah. And Crazy. of course, this won't be one of them because LaSalle finished with one, but <laughs> zero in the first half. Pretty, pretty wild. It's still pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's go to, let's go to Caleb. 25 minutes, three for nine, three for seven from three finished with 11 points, seven rebounds. Good number for him. What were your thoughts there? I, I think Caleb Daniels has been much better over the last yeah. couple of games. And that really is key with Villanova. As we talk about, we know the starters are locked in. We know the starters can go toe to toe against pretty much anyone in the country, but it's, can they kind of squeeze some out of their bench? And, and you've seen it with Caleb Daniels, the last four games, he's averaging 11 points. Um, You know, as you said, 11.7 boards last night, most impressive thing from Caleb Daniels, these last four games, just two turnovers in total over the last four, which of course turnovers have been a little bit of an issue for Caleb. I think you're starting to see him get into a little bit more of a rhythm. He shot that three ball very confidently from very far out against LaSalle, which I can only take as a good sign. We know he's a force on the boards. He's going to foul some people because sometimes he forgets he's playing basketball and not football, but that's okay. I think we know that about Caleb. At <laughs> and this then point. looks around wildly. Yeah, it's, it's great. So, I mean, I, I take that as a huge positive, not just for this game, because I don't know how much you can really read into this game, but just the trend you're starting to see is is definitely a positive one yeah it definitely looks much more like the pre-covid caleb daniels than the daniels we saw for the second half of last season Mm -hmm. which was a very frustrating daniels at time i agree he's not giving up shots like he was at the beginning of the season he's strong and confident with the ball he's still fouling which is really just him his mo at this point but it's been a while since i saw a ridiculous daniels foul right it's been a while since there's just been a lack of judgment or really since he's had to spend a lot of time on the bench because he's in foul trouble. So I think that's credit to Jay Wright for switching him into this sixth man role, because I think it's suiting him really, really well so far. And of course the question, as long as he keeps this up, will never be specifically about him. It'll be what else can the bench produce aside from Caleb Daniels. Yeah, he's a part of a greater unit, but of course he is the guy right now that they're going to look to for for production off the bench. Do you want to move to another certain bench player that that happened to play yesterday? Yeah, Trey Patterson, 15 minutes. Mm. That had to be a season high, right? I Probably right around there. I'll take it for the 15 from Trey. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's much better just to see him get a run out there. I thought uh, on the, on the boards, he looked good, was able to add a couple of that offense, you know, 
you see him kind of running around a little bit. It looks a little more in turn defense. It's still, he, you know, he's looking around. He doesn't look completely sure of himself out there. Of course it takes time, but just the fact he got 15 minutes of run. I, I take that as an overall positive. I totally agree. I definitely think there's, there's a long way to go. A lot of, a lot of runway left. He's not as physical as I expected him to be. I remember talking a lot preseason about how if Dixon struggled, Patterson would be the guy to step in. If if Dixon struggles for the rest of the season, which I really don't think he will, I think they're going to be forced to rely on Slater and Samuels because even if Patterson was coming along offensively and not practice and all that, which he isn't, I don't know if Patterson can keep up with some of these bigger guys. Have you mm-hmm. thought that at all? Yeah, he, he feels like more of a wing type yeah. player than a true forward down there at, at least but as we didn't of right think now. that yeah we didn't think that a couple of weeks ago no i thought he could come in and play more of a four you might see yeah. it i mean that's the traditional four i guess uh, as we know villanova likes to play untraditionally uh position wise so we'll see how things continue to develop i, I find it as very fluid but I, I didn't think it was poor by any means from I, mean, I said five rebounds for for him is a really good number um i just i'd like to see a little more assertiveness we'll go with on the defensive end yeah, that's a good word for it. I completely agree with you. 15 minutes for Trey Patterson is a win. Mm-hmm. And 15 more against Penn and 15 more against Temple and St. Joe's, those would all be really big wins. It really doesn't matter what he can do offensively at this point because he probably won't be getting minutes in a lot of high-caliber conference or non-conference games. So this is the time for him to really get some run. And and I, I remember Jay, Jay Wright mentioned, I think it was a, a – pregame presser for some game I can't remember off the top of my head but it's so much less about specifically how Trey Patterson plays versus how the team plays when Trey Patterson was in yeah you know and when Trey Patterson is in the offensive and defensive units look good around him and that's the biggest plus for me Mm -hmm. yeah it's all about comfort you know and it's all about gaining experience where they can so it's Again, solid. I'll take it. Yeah, I just realized that when you said a bench player, you might not have been talking about Trey Patterson. I wasn't. You caught me off guard there, but I decided <laughs> to go with it and try to show uh, try to show a little improv. But <laughs> it works. That was me. not even the most important bench player. Yeah, I, I apologize for that. I guess we could say quickly now. We mentioned Longino was out with the flu, and mm-hmm. Njoku must have also been dealing with some side effects because for him to come off the bench that late was definitely interesting to see. So I, I'm thinking it was just dealing with side effects. I'll go further than that. If it was not the flu, it's completely puzzling that Njoku yeah. gets one minute because that is the, as we talked about, that is the perfect game to get someone, you know, involved when you're up 30 at half pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have a feeling it had to do with some symptoms for that because otherwise I wouldn't really understand that. Yeah, so let's hope that's it because <laughs> there's no use of us speculating about it. I'm no. sure that's, people are still... Uh, chomping at the bit to talk about that so let's let's give it a few days see how these guys heal and recover and hopefully by Penn St. Joe's we're seeing more minutes from Njoku mm-hmm. all right let's get into Demir Cosby Roundtree now because you and I we have been such big lovers of Cosby Roundtree his attitude the passion he brings his team player it was just such a shame when it came out at the beginning of the season that his leg injuries would prevent him from being on the active roster, but it came out that he would remain on the team on scholarship. And then all of a sudden news drops before this LaSalle game that Demir Cosby Roundry not only would suit up, 
but that he might be available to play off the bench. What was your first reaction? Let's start there. What was your first reaction when you heard that? You saw it. I mean, I, we were texting in that group with Eugene and I said, I need a second source because I just, yeah. I, I didn't believe it. it. It it caught me off guard so much. Uh, I, once we saw it, that it was happening. I mean, I was thrilled for him. We know all about Demir and the role he's played with this program over the past couple of years. Jay Wright speaks so highly of him, uh, not just on the floor, but his abilities off it as well. He talks about how he wants him to get his doctorate. So he sticks around at Villanova, you know, for mm-hmm. longer, just to, just to be able to be around the team and around the guys. Um, it really was shock because, I don't see why any of us would have any reason to believe he was going to play this year after all the things we were told. I mean, I'll take it even further. It didn't seem like anybody on Villanova staff had any reason to believe that this would happen. No. So it was, it was very, very interesting. I felt the same way you did. I didn't understand how it worked. I thought when they gave him that designation that he was off the active roster, that was it. That was, you know, shake your hands. You're out. Suck a true true bummer but that was just the way it would be but Jay Wright has since come out and said that he was able to practice he has been invaluable to the team as you mentioned like you said just by giving little tidbits to Nana Njoku and Eric Dixon and now to actually see him on the floor he scored a point he got that offensive rebound right away before we get into it even more let's let's hear from Jay Wright in that post-game pressure presser when he talks about when this actually came into fruition and the decision to play Cosby Roundtree in this game. Jay, what was your plan for playing Dada tonight? Tonight, tonight was just if we had the chance, just get him some minutes, get him some game experience, just because the game is a, is a totally different speed. Um, I, I think I told you, Joe, we had, you know, we had a lot of guys with the flu. We still got a couple guys with the flu. And I didn't know how many bodies, I didn't know how the guys were going to be able to handle it. And in practice, we needed bodies. So we were, so we put him in there and he looked really good. He wasn't supposed to be able to do this. And I know he's been wanting to play anyway. So we said, you know, let's give it a shot. And, and for not playing for a year and a half, I thought it looked really good. So, Mayor, how did you feel? You, 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 you felt tonight when you were out there any uh, lingering uh, problems, pain, or, or whatever? Um, no, physically, um, I didn't feel any pain or anything like that. Um, you know, but just in terms of basketball, uh, basketball aspect of it, you know, I felt as though that, um, you know, I just want to get back, uh, you know, get some more strength, get some more time playing, and um, hopefully, you know, I can get better at uh, the things that we do. And we we were able to hear from Demir himself there too, and his excitement and how his body felt. What were your thoughts from that, Pat? I mean, I, from what I saw for a guy that hadn't played since, what was it, March of 2020, I believe, yeah, March 7th, 2020, I thought he looked pretty good out there. You know, of, of mm-hmm. course, it was great to see him get the offensive rebound immediately and the putback was very, very cool for him. Um, he, he held his own. He played five minutes. You just hope physically waking up on uh, Monday morning he was feeling yeah. <laughs> okay because obviously not being in game action for so long. It was just the – honestly, the, the mental boost it must have been for his teammates – to see him out there, I can only imagine because I know all of Nova Nation was beyond thrilled to be able to welcome yeah. Demir back. Yeah, that's a really good point. I like that a lot. And I'm curious, the question that rises for me now mm-hmm. is that Jay almost verbatim said that they needed bodies in this game because of the flu that everybody was dealing with. So if Demir Kazrianchi had to play in this game because they needed bodies, 
what would two or three more months of practice, what would that do when we're talking about end of January, February, and Villanova needs a boost? Do you think that was something that they were keeping under their sleeve? This is where I, I, I truly don't understand how these rules work. I didn't realize it would be so easy to just mm-hmm. activate data and just have him come in because now I'm thinking maybe that'll happen again. Is this the, I don't think this is the last time we're going to see him on the court. Well, and that, see, that's the question that, that stems from this. And I didn't get to listen to the full, full press conference. So I don't know if it was asked, but the first question that comes into my mind is, was this a one-off or yeah. are they looking to use him you know, further down the road. My view on it is that it's closer to that one-off in that, remember, he's a Philadelphia kid. They needed bodies. This was a chance to get him out there in the palestra, in the big five, have, you know, a a kind of a farewell type tour for him that he gets to go out there. That's how I look at it. I don't, I don't think any of us can answer because Jay Wright, at least to my knowledge, was not asked specifically what Mm -hmm. the plan was moving forward. That would have been a great question. Yeah. You know, what what's going on here? Because as you said, I think it just took all of us by surprise because he was removed from the active roster. Yeah. It was such a late development for that game too. I kind of lean the other way from mm-hmm. you, I guess, if we're going to see him, why not play him more? As long as of course the body is comes along and with that's, it. And that's he's, the thing. Yeah. Right. That that's is 100% what it's going to come down to. How sore was he when he woke up on Monday? How were those legs feeling? How's the conditioning coming along? I think those are all separate things, but the bottom line is he's been in this program longer than almost everybody else. Sure. He's still in practice, practicing, soaking everything up. He knows the game plans. He's familiar with the system. All these things come back to the point that I think he would be ready. So maybe it's a secret weapon. Maybe we never see him again. Maybe he becomes a contributor. I don't think any of those things. Nope are super unlikely. Honest to God, I wouldn't be surprised if any of those things happen. And I'm trying not to get too ahead of myself because imagine if we can get 10 or 15 minutes from Cosby Roundtree against some of the big men in the Big East. Think of what he can add with that size. And then you're able to be flexible with Dixon and Samuels and Slater and sl- and so on. There's a, a lot of really interesting opportunities that could come from that. It certainly would be. It's a storyline to now look at as they move through the next couple games this week to yeah. see if they continue to work on that game conditioning. But for me, I am planning for the rotation without him as a part of it, just because I don't think we know enough information right now. So yeah. that's how I lean for it. Of course, it'd be a huge boost if he is available to even play a couple minutes a game, but we shall see. Yeah, I think it, it's premature to start factoring him into the plans. Definitely. Mm-hmm. But hey, he was out there. It was great. I'm so Very happy cool for Demir. I know everyone was happy for Demir. Um, just a, an awesome, awesome moment. Yeah, I totally agree. I meant to mention at the beginning too. How was your experience with Brickus, your favorite name in oh, college what a basketball? Name. Uh, you know, n- not the greatest game for him, though. He no, did, he did look much better in the second half. I know uh, Brantley was the only one making anything <laughs> uh, in the first half yeah. for LaSalle. Lit- but- quite literally. Quite uh, not kidding. I believe he scored the first 12 points for LaSalle as well. Uh, but yeah, Brick is 31 minutes. I just loved any time I got to hear the announcers say it. Uh, definitely a very enjoyable showing for me. Yeah, I'm glad it lived up to the expectations. Another, really the last notable thing, and we can transition here if you've said all your points. No Villanova player played more than 29 minutes. Mm-hmm. So Had that down too. 
at least for this week, we can put that fatigue factor to rest. As it should be. There is no way that any of them should have been out there for over 30 minutes. So, yep. so glad they stuck to 29. Colin played a really complete game, you know, going through everything. Uh, one thing I did want to know, because I think this is a bizarre thing as we look back at the start of the season. Villanova had 14 turnovers against LaSalle. Yep. That is the most they've had in any game this year. They had seven against UCLA and Tennessee and only four against Purdue. I do think a lot of it came down to a lack of concentration, especially in the second half. It was not a pretty second half for any of us to watch, but just a little weird that in a game that Villanova completely controlled, they were definitely a little sloppy. I would not be surprised if uh, it was a bit of a rough practice um, on Monday and and possibly a little bit early Tuesday as well to try and shake them around a little bit. Oh, I think for sure. I think Jay was livid after that second. It was a rough second half. It was a rough, right? It must be so frustrating as frustrating as a coach to see that happen too, because you feel like you can't take your foot off the pedal because your guys are just crumbling around you. And that's still an exaggeration because this game was never out of hand, but Villanova only outscored LaSalle by one point in the second half, Mm -hmm. 30 to 29. So to your point, I think it all comes down to Ashley Howard. If there was one thing Ashley Howard circled in his game plan against Villanova, it 100% had to be force them into turnovers. I think it's poetic justice. Of course, the uh, former assistant Villanova coach, now the head coach at LaSalle, is going to force Villanova into the most turnovers this season. Probably mm-hmm. a season high. I can't imagine them it ever was a having more than... I mean, I mean, for, for, the, sure, I mean sure. for the rest of the rest of the season, I can't imagine Villanova turning the ball over more than 14 times against any other opponent for, for the duration of the season. I, I also laughed when I saw that. I think it's I think it's just funny, really. And it was a good good game plan for Ashley Howard to try and force Villanova into mistakes. And, of course, you saw younger guys get some minutes, too. And everything just kind of crumbled down the stretch. Shaka Smart's going to try to beat those 14 turnovers. Ooh. I can tell you that. But it's, uh, as you said, definitely just something weird kind of to look back on. Yep. Yeah. I think that was all I had. I yeah, don't have same anything here. else about this game. Yeah. Wish it was a little closer, but it was cool seeing the palestra. And we got the broadcasters just talking about how awesome Villanova is for the full 40 minutes. So That's true. It was a very pro-Villanova broadcast, so <laughs> we'll, we'll always take that. A non-stressful game as well after yep. that Purdue game. So I guess we'll take it after Thanksgiving. That's a good point. So Pat had a very fun idea. Of course, all, none of these games are coming down to possessions like we've talked about with UCLA. We hope so. Let's put it that way. Exactly. We hope so. So Pat had a cool idea for a little fun segment before we finish up with our pen preview today. Yeah. So Hanukkah started over the weekend. We are moving into the Christmas season as well. So why not take a little break before we get into our pen preview and look at one thing that we would like from this Villanova basketball team as our holiday gift this year. I think that's great. I'm very excited about this question. It's meant to be vague. Yes, it's meant to be very vague. So it's anywhere we want to take it. And the way you phrased it to me the first time, which I just thought was hysterical, was what do you want to be under the tree? There you go. And I want Brian Antoine to be under the tree, Pat. Uh, I want a fully healthy, ready to go, ready to play 20 minutes on the court, Brian Antoine under my Christmas tree as a Christmas present. And I know this is kind of a cop-out because he obviously can't help it. Nobody has a firm 
timetable. Jay Wright always seems very depressed when he gets asked the question because it doesn't seem like it's going that well. That's always the vibe that I get around Antoine. He's still weeks away. He's taking stationary shots, but it doesn't seem like the conditioning is there. Yada, 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 that whole thing. But if Brian Antoine can come back to this team, even by February, and add 15 to 20 minutes off the bench and force Arch to then be the eighth guy off because Caleb is six, Antoine is seven. Both of those guys can play quality minutes, can be quality scorers, and can keep up on defense. That erases the bench debate. Mm -hmm. That makes Villanova a much deeper team. And Brian Antoine, I, I think we've talked about it before. I don't think this is necessarily a hot take a really good Brian Antoine and Villanova might not have lost against UCLA or Purdue. It's a fair point. And yeah, I, I like that a lot. Antoine is, would be key if he's available again, another guy I'm not relying on to be back at any point this year. Cause I, I don't know how you can factor him in until we see it, but if he does come out there, Oh, what a great Christmas present that would be to right? see someone that, you know, has the explosiveness, you know, started to look much better towards the end of last year in the system, especially defensively active hands, using that quickness, some fast breaks with him and, and running in transition. He's as exciting as it gets. We've never really gotten to see what he can do because injuries have always hampered him. That'd be a huge Christmas present. Yeah. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but we saw glimpses in the tournament and it was so awesome to see that and, Seemed like he had turned the corner. He was riding all this momentum into this year. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. it got stopped short because of that injury. And I agree with you. I don't think it's smart or logical to factor him in and to think, okay, when Brian Antoine comes back, then all of our issues are going to be solved. No, that's, that's obviously not what I'm saying. But thinking about having him as a bench option makes this team so strong, especially that Antoine that we saw in, in March Madness last year, creating those turnovers throwing up that alley-oop to Slater. That's mm -hmm. really dangerous. Yeah, it'll get you excited. It'll get yeah. you excited. So let's hope for it. Hopefully yeah. Santa delivers that one. Oh, that would be great. All right, what did you have? I know My, you're I know you're going out of the box here. I, that, I have no idea what you're going to say. I, I did think through health first, you know, as one thing to say. I think Villanova especially saw how important a gift of health would be with Colin Gillespie going down last year and mm -hmm. how it affected it, though that team was still able to claw their way to a Sweet 16. But the holiday gift that I'm hoping for from this Villanova basketball team this holiday season is quite simply for Brandon Slater to keep shooting. And you can oh. say, what does that mean? Well, as we stand right now, a couple games into the season, Brandon Slater has the eighth best offensive rating in the country, the 29th best effective field goal percentage in the country, and the 19th best true shooting percentage in the country as I throw a little analytics at everyone there. Slater has been so, so good this year. We, you know, we just talked about him possibly being, you know, a tertiary scorer, a true tertiary scorer for this team. We've seen the talent. We know he can put it up after seeing a couple games, you know, 17 against Mount St. Mary's, 23 against Howard, has put up double digits in every game so far this season. And of course, that includes the three big ranked matchups that they've played already. Brandon Slater, trust that shot. Keep shooting because he's got a chance to truly, really become a star. Oh, that's such a good answer. S slow claps there. I think that's Thank very, you. very good. I'm just going to say that for emphasis. All of those numbers Pat said in the country, mm -hmm. not in the Big East, not on Villanova's team in the country. He has taken that big of a leap on offense. Literally, Pat, you and I said over and over and over and over. If he just establishes a presence on offense, imagine how good this guy could be. 
because he was already so lethal on defense. And now he's scoring in double digits in every single game. It's remarkable. It is absolutely remarkable how effective he is. It's absolutely remarkable how efficient he is. And that's what's most important to me too. He's not afraid of taking the three. He's also just as scary when he drives all the way to the basket. It's everything. It's everything that the coaches have been talking about. The broadcast, I thought, had some really good points about Villanova's development for all players. Brandon Slater should be the shining example of a four-year college basketball player and how high a ceiling can be when you stay in the system and grow and development and earn that starting spot. And now look at what he's producing for the team this year. It's okay to wait your turn. Yeah. It's okay to wait your turn and let things develop and and take some time to become the player that you can be because we are seeing it with Brandon Slater. I could not be more excited of it. And that is why that is what I would like as a holiday gift. Yeah, that's a really good point. Just stick with it. Don't ever be afraid to take that shot. Don't ever be afraid to drive to the rim. Be confident in his shooting abilities because they are on fire right now. Gotta love to see it. Oh, love that. All right, let's shift to Penn quickly. Mm -hmm. Second big five matchup for the Cats. The Quakers are three and six right now. They're actually first in the Ivy League, which is hysterical. Um, Penn does have two. They've played two games against ranked opponents. Was interested to hear your thoughts on this because I actually think it's a compliment to Penn. They lost 105 to 70 to FSU, who was ranked at the time. And then they lost 76-60 to Arkansas, who was ranked 13th, I believe, at the time. I don't think either of those are embarrassing losses. The 35 points to FSU is obviously mm-hmm. uh, pretty sizable. And to give hundred to give up 105, even 100-plus points in college basketball is, is pretty notable. But FSU is one of the best offensive teams in the country. Sure. I think... Penn is the scariest big five opponent. I'll, I'll put I would it agree that with way. that. They agree. have Jordan Dingle, that sophomore. He's averaging 19.6 points per game so far this year. He put up 31 early on this season. There are big flaws that they just they can't play any type of defense. And exactly. if you go through their schedule, you'll see all of the opposing point totals, and none of them are respectable. They're ranked 280th overall. Uh, in Kempom for defense. So that's the game plan for me. As long as Villanova shooting is on, I think it's ho-hum for them. Yeah, I think that's really fair to look at it. As you said, you know, defensively is their big thing. As 281st is rough, uh, especially with what Florida State (laughs) did to them. Uh, They also lost to Towson, or the last two, they've lost to Towson and Arkansas. Uh, Their best win so far was a win over Old Dominion. Uh, To your point, Jordan Dingle is a stud. Uh, The only issue for that is that he did not play against Arkansas and I have scoured the internet trying to find why I have not been able to find it. So I do not not know if he is going to play Wednesday night against Villanova. I have not been able to find it. If anyone else knows it and it's over my head, I apologize there. I tried. Um, What's interesting to then look at there too, is he shoots 39% of Penn shots comes from Dinkle. So they are super, super reliant on him. What they also, they're very poor on defense. The other thing they do very badly, they turn it over 21% of their possessions, which is just mm-hmm. insane to go with it. So yes, Villanova should win this one comfortably. Penn, they can score a little bit. 
Um, you know, they, they fought hard against Arkansas. I, as you said, I do not think that's a bad loss whatsoever, but with Dingle kind of not knowing what's going on there and uh, the, the turnover issues, I do think Villanova should roll this one. Yeah. That's an interesting mystery there. I wonder why he didn't. Play I tried. Him. I couldn't More find importantly, it. why you couldn't find anything on it. Yeah. That's weird. They don't have a ton of size either. So hopefully Eric Dixon's able to, to bully his way into the paint a little bit. It would be nice to see another big offensive game from him as well. I feel the same way. They are ranked 198th overall in tempo. So they're definitely not trying to, this is Penn I'm talking about. They're not trying Villanova's to. Villanova's much lower than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're not trying to speed up possessions necessarily, the kind of middle of the pack. Again, I, I say this, of course, it seems fast when you're playing against Villanova, which is like 345th or something like that in tempo, just absurd. But hopefully their shot selection is better than LaSalle. Hopefully they have better shooting percentages than LaSalle. And this game is a little bit closer, but not sure if that's going to happen based on how bad their defense is. And again, we just had this whole conversation about how many scores are emerging for Villanova. We're past the, the secondary and tertiary options where we're fortunate enough to be talking about fourth and fifth scores. Penn struggles past that one guy, Jordan Dingle. So it's just a, a different mindset for that offense. Yeah, no, you're, you're completely right. So I guess we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. Again, another big five game. I believe it's at the Palestra again. Yes, correct. Maybe it's on ESPN plus. So hopefully, hopefully it'll be worth watching. It's always so, worth watching for the big uh, five unconfirmed, but apparently he missed the last game because he was sick, but unconfirmed. Okay. All right. Interesting. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. So we'll, we'll see what was Penn. If, if he's not playing, uh, you know, Penn's obviously gonna have to try and try and figure out some other way to, to generate some offense here. But otherwise, as we said, Villanova should, will be heavily favored, should be heavily favored. And you just want to see some clean basketball. Cause we did not see that in the second half against LaSalle. Yes. Yeah, totally agree. All right. And let's, let's end off as usual with our whip around the big East. I feel like we finally have some games under us now where we can start looking at the standings. And the reason why I say that is because I want everyone to look at the standings and see who's at the top of the division right now. I'm going to give you about four seconds to gather yourself, pull out your phone. The best team in the country. app, Check the Big East standings. And by now, hopefully you can Hmm. see that DePaul is six and oh in leading the Big East Conference right now, just like we all expected, Pat. None of us have to discuss the level of competition that DePaul have played. Um, the important thing is that they're undefeated. <laughs> no, of course they not. They do have no, a win no, over no. Rutgers under their belt, which is very nice, but I can't say I'm reading their wins over Coppin State and Central Michigan too highly. But, hey, Tony Stubblefeld era, off with uh, off to a bang. You're right. No, I do he think it is just a point that they're starting to – Gain some momentum and they needed a change and that's what they've gotten so far. But no, let's talk, let's, let's talk about some, some serious wins. UConn Auburn on Wednesday might have been a top three college basketball game of the year. So great game. It was unbelievable. Double overtime, 115 to 109. UConn was able to eke out the win. They could have won it about five times before that, but doesn't matter. They won I mean, we we talked about how UConn might struggle with scoring behind R.J. Cole. Doesn't feel like that's a problem anymore. 
it helps when you have Adama Sonogo, who yep. was uh, ended up being the Big East player of the week for the past week. 18 points a game, eight rebounds, three blocks per game, uh, and the battle for Atlantis All-Tournament team. Um, UConn is tough. They are good. They are unbelievably well-coached, and they're going to give Villanova a run for it here in the Big East. Yeah, they're so fast. They're so big. If it's not Sonogo, it's Pauly or whaley or cole it just it's truly feels like it never ends all of these guys it doesn't so yeah they're they're really good and of course a big win yes they did end up falling to michigan state but that was a really strong win against Auburn. yep that was a really strong win for michigan state too i thought that was, was a good game it was 64 to 60 was the final score as opposed to the 115 109 yeah, which they is blew it late hysterical and then they had another overtime victory over vcu 70 to 63 on friday mm-hmm. in that same tournament uh any other big ones that you want to talk about in the big east this past week uh xavier put together another really nice win as well with the win over virginia tech uh i you know the, virginia tech is a good team again another well-coached team the power five conference win never a bad thing there one point win so a really close one but nate johnson 30 points for the yeah. Musketeers, no one else in double figures in that game. Um, wow, is the biggest way I could put it. Xavier's tough too. You know, we know about how how well coached they are, um, and a, a solid start to the season. And I believe five and one. Yeah, they're. I think they're always going to be on the bubble in terms of being ranked. I think if they can get even one big name win, they they will probably earn a way into the top twenty five. Yeah, and speaking I, about it, sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying they, they won that game against Virginia Tech without Colby Jones, who is an yeah, absolute it's a big stud. deal. I was just going to say, speaking of a team that is in the top 25, Seton Hall is putting together a very nice start to their season, and they are ranked 21st. And another team 25th, that's not 25th, 25th, I'm sorry. No, you're and fine. another team that isn't ranked but is close and that we never saw coming. Marquette. They are receiving votes, Pat. Marquette, the team that was supposed to be the bottom dweller of the Big East, is receiving votes for the AP Top 25 poll. Conferences look good. We've we've discussed it before. St. John's has a big one coming up against Kansas as well later Mm. this week. Uh, There's some good games. As we said, the conference has really shown out so far and come up with some big wins. Um, (laughs) And we are so close to conference play season, which is going to be great. I was just going to say, I just want conference play to start. I'm so excited. December I'm, I'm, 17th. I, we're I can't there. wait for those. Uh, the Syracuse Baylor is going to be so nice. It's just going to ease in Syracuse Baylor, Creighton Xavier. Oh, it's so good. It's so close. It's a tough we're already stretch. at the end of November. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Crazy. We're, we're getting there, but you're, you're right. It is a tough stretch. Yeah. All these wins. This is so great for the conference. And this is what Jay Wright talks about all the time selfishly you want the biggies to do well you want them to have these big wins because that's going to make villanova's wins over them matter even more and that's mm-hmm. exactly what you want uh out of conference i root for the Big East in every game i, I put yep. the rivalries aside uh in conference that is where i will root for seton hall to lose every game it's just yeah exactly exactly and there was a lot of shake up in the poll anyway this week gonzaga mm-hmm. duke purdue kansas it's it's crazy already and it's literally november yep it, we're just not going to sleep all the way till March. I'm anarchy. fine with it. It's college basketball. I'm fine with it. That's what we yeah. do. Yeah. Sweet. Epitome of brutality never gets old for John. Uh, one, one of the best ones that he's got. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Awesome. All right. That'll do it for us here. Then on the state of the Nova nation presented 
by VU Hoops. Some cool articles on VU Hoops. Check out that AP poll as that was posted earlier today. Of course, a recap of that game against LaSalle and more content coming as Big Five Week continues. We will be back at it on Thursday to recap the Penn game. Uh, excited to, to be able to look back at yet another game at the Palestra. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod. Go Cats and Nova Nation. That's a wrap.